1: with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. The volume. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight presented by FanDuel here at the volume live on AMP. Happy Tuesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys are having a great week so far. Don't forget, if you're checking this out on YouTube or on our podcast feed, that AMP is the very first place you guys can get our post-game analysis. So today we're going to be breaking down the Warriors, getting their butt kicked in Milwaukee, despite going 20 for 50 from three. That's got to be... Really upsetting. And then we're going to touch on a couple of games from last night. The Brooklyn Nets winning 8 out of 9 by going on the road into Washington and controlling that game. And then the Los Angeles Clippers kind of sent a message to the Boston Celtics. Paul George and Kawhi soundly outplaying Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So those are the three games we're going to get to tonight. Uh Lakers-Celtics, which is later tonight, and Kings-Sixers. Those are two games that I have uh, have my eye on from tonight's slate. We're going to touch those during tomorrow's show. So, this was pretty damn dominant for Milwaukee. Absolutely physically pulverized Golden State. They out-rebounded them 55 to 37. They outscored them in the paint 48 to 30, and they outscored them on the fast break 16 to 7. And again, if you would tell me going into this game that the Warriors are going to make 23s and that they're going to shoot 40% From the three-point line, you like your chances in a game like that, but they got so soundly dominated in all of these other areas of the game that they didn't really even have a chance. I never really felt like Milwaukee was threatened. Even when they went on that little run there late second quarter, you get back within six and you don't get back in transition three times in a row. Next thing you know, it's a 12-point lead going into halftime. But, you know, my rule, we're going to talk about the Bucs first. We will get to the Warriors in their second half as their, uh, excuse me, their road struggles here in just a few minutes. So Giannis kind of had a tough shooting night, but I thought Giannis completely dominated this game. All with rim pressure in transition. He struggled in the half court because he was kind of trying stuff, taking a lot of jump shots in this game, but he was just missing them. Um, but in transition, Golden State couldn't do anything with him. And it's funny because I, I always used to say that the two guys that, I would construct in a lab to defend Giannis that are in this league are Draymond Green and LeBron James that unique combination of quickness with otherworldly strength and the instincts the defensive instincts required to beat Giannis to spots and and make those types of reads and things along those lines and so this particular matchup because I actually really like Kevon Looney as a potential Giannis matchup in certain set uh, situations, but they just didn't bring the requisite effort tonight when they walled him up in the half court, they did a pretty nice job, but when he got out in transition, they were, they just didn't bring that same type of effort they did against Boston. Like against Boston, they had the, a, like a, a, a chaotic effort, just, just forcing their way back in transition defense to contain Boston. And then they just didn't bring that tonight, which has been an issue. And again, that's kind of the Giannis thing too. Like, Giannis just keeps coming at you in waves. I noticed this um, to a great extent in that Boston Celtics series last year. It's like, yeah, Grant Williams can stay in front of Giannis a couple times. And so can Al Horford, maybe for even a couple games. But eventually, the better athlete that is more well-conditioned, that has that advantage, is going to continue to break on that shore until he eventually overcomes them. And and that's kind of the way it was tonight. they, They did a nice job in half court but they couldn't get in front of him enough times in transition. And then when they did get in front of him in transition, he was beating you with the pass. It was just an onslaught that, that never stopped and Golden State. Couldn't do anything with him. And it's funny because that's part of why I think he's so clearly the best player in the league. That, that type of physical onslaught is proven to succeed in the NBA playoffs because a lot of the shot making stuff, you know, it's, it doesn't go away entirely, but the percentages dip way down and, the bigger physical teams tend to control that setting in the NBA. And Giannis is the guy that you can count on to thrive in those environments in ways that a lot of teams can't. And, I mean, Golden State, again, I thought a lot of effort-related issues tonight, but they also got physically manhandled in this game. They were very physical. Ball, You know, we talk about drop coverage being a problem for for uh, Golden State when we were talking, and Milwaukee was running in a – just as much of a drop coverage like we were joking about how Blake Griffin was too far back and usually James and Al Horford are back but they're not that far back you know like Brooke Lopez in a lot of these drop coverages was sitting you know 20 feet behind the screen Giannis was doing a better job getting up but Brooke was pretty far back and they were just so physical on the ball and then also an off ball with all of Golden State's screening interchanges and their cutting and stuff like that they really wore down uh, Golden State. And that, and that's kind of the Giannis effect too. He's the personification of that effect within one basketball player, just wearing you down on both ends of the floor until eventually you break. And then once again, Giannis's passing continues to be really impressive. Um, he had a really nice no-look feed to Wesley Matthews in one of his transition sequences. Um, when he passes out of the post, or out of isolation or out of pick and roll this year the bucks have scored 121 points on 117 possessions which is really really good. It's just a statement type of game from him. I still think Steph has had a little bit better regular season this year and you guys know my rule I'm not going to switch any rankings when it comes to you know how I really perceive these players in the grand scheme of things until we get to the off season but this kind of felt like a statement type of game from Giannis. Like don't forget that he is the best player in the world. And then Bobby Portis was also really good tonight. Did a great job abusing the smaller Warriors uh, perimeter players, which is going to be an issue when Andrew Wiggins is out of the lineup. Um, I talked to my guy who's pretty well connected with the Warriors, and he said that they expect Andrew Wiggins back within the next week and that it's not anything serious. They're just kind of taking their time with him. Uh, But Bobby Portis, you know, he still isn't shooting great from the perimeter. That's the the big thing that they need to get going at the level he had in the previous seasons. But, um, a really nice scoring uh, job from him. And he's just in this last like half dozen games or so is starting to look more like Bobby Portis from last year. Um, the Warriors, though, the Warriors are 12 and 2 at home. And they are 2 and 12 on the road. Coming into tonight, because the data hasn't updated, when the Warriors are on the road compared to all the other teams in the league on the road, they are 29th in defense and 25th in rebounding. So what happened to them tonight? It's not necessarily a matchup thing. I mean, hell, we saw them hold up physically extremely well against Boston. And though they don't have the singular player that Giannis is. But down the roster, they come at you physically in a similar manner. They're extremely physical uh, on the defensive end of the floor. And they constantly, relentlessly drive the basketball to the rim. Just with a, a ton of players as opposed to just the Giannis type of impact. So what has been happening to them tonight uh, what happened to them tonight is something that's been happening to them all season on the road. Why is that? Well, I think it's a couple of reasons. First, it's you have a younger roster. Young players typically don't have really good habits. So we we, t- we I talk about this a lot. Like, you know, when you're a basketball player, every time you have success, you try to figure out what specifically caused you to have that success. So you can replicate it. And then when you have a bad game, you try to – pay attention to what specifically caused you to have a bad game so you can avoid doing that in the future. So by the time you become a veteran player, uh, you know, when you're playing basketball in your thirties, like you just have a really good feel for how to have good games and how to avoid the bad games. But when you're a young player, those habits aren't really sharp yet. And then also young players typically feed on emotion. You know, like it's not even just a crowd thing. It's just a basketball thing. For instance, you you got all you guys who play basketball a lot. You see the guy that goes and dunks on someone and then loses his damn mind. Probably hasn't done that very many times in his life. And it's kind of a cool emotional moment for him. So he gets swept up in it. But like when you've dunked on a lot of people playing basketball, it's kind of just another play and you run back on defense. You expect that from yourself, right? And the same thing goes with feeding off of the crowd. You know, like you, I venture to guess, I, I, I joke about this with my wife sometimes. Like, can you imagine what it must feel like for LeBron? to run out into an arena of 20,000 people. Like he 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 probably doesn't feel much at all anymore. You know, compared to the way a young player would react when he hits a three out of the corner in front of 20,000 home fans. So what does that really translate to? That means young players are more willing to play hard and smart when they're at home than they are on the road. They're more likely to hang their head and kind of let go of the rope when things go poorly on the road. So I think that's part of it for Golden State. And then the second thing is the veterans. Like Golden State starters got rolled again tonight. And look, they're the defending champs. They're not nearly as motivated as they were last year. That's just a fact. That same again, that same ferocious transition defense that they had against Boston on Saturday night, we saw the other end of that coin today. They were really slow getting back, which is something you just can't afford to do against Giannis. So what do we make of that as we kind of zoom out of from it? It's textbook championship malaise. We've seen this before. But at the same time, we've seen what the ceiling is still. Like Boston, like that Boston team was killing everybody, including on the road, going into that Golden State game. And then they just completely manhandled them. Golden State sent a clear message to Boston that they are still better than them. You know, and so when we look at that, we know the ceiling is still there. And for for whatever reason, they're just not getting to there frequently enough. Usually championship teams are deep. And this is kind of the problem with what Bob Myers did and what Joe Lake did this summer when they let go of Gary Payton II and Otto Porter Jr. You know, you had depth and you had young players. But you let your depth go for financial reasons and also to clear way in the rotation for your young players to play. And so now that margin for error for what allows you to win in the NBA on a daily basis is smaller than what it was last year and so as a result when the the warrior starters are bringing a little bit of you know inconsistent effort particularly on the road there it's not enough for them to to float during the regular season so what does it really translate to is a balancing act as it pertains to the standings because like when you're looking at it for playoff matchups like I always think about you know the Lakers in 2021 they kept telling themselves who cares just get to the play-in we've been hurt all year." When push comes to shove, we got LeBron James and Anthony Davis. We can beat anybody. And, you know, they weren't wrong. They were up two games to one on Phoenix. But then what happened? And Anthony Davis broke down. And obviously he had been dealing with a bunch of issues. But it's just a lot to ask for that route. Like, what does that route look like? Because if the Warriors continue to play like this, they will be around 500 this year and it's not it's not that there are 500 basketball team in a in, in a vacuum it's just the reality of how deep the western conference is this year that like if you play the level of basketball golden state's playing you're going to lose half your games you know and so if you end up around 500 in this deep western conference you're going to be in the play in game so what does that look like for you now i've got to win a high stakes game potentially on the road potentially two games depending on where i end up in the standings just to get out of the play in my reward for getting out of the play in is I have to now beat the top seed without home court advantage or the second seed. Okay. Let's say we get through that. So we've got through high stakes playing game and we just beat a top seed. Our reward for that is now we have to play a middle seed in the Western conference also on the road. And that's in the Western conference this year. That could be anybody. That could be the Clippers. That could be the Denver Nuggets. That could be the Phoenix Suns. That could be the New Orleans Pelicans. Like who, who the hell knows how this is all going to shake up, but it's probably going to be somebody tough again. And then if you happen to get through that, your reward is you get to play the other top seed also on the road. Oh, and guess who's coming out of the Eastern Conference? It's the Boston Celtics or the Milwaukee Bucks. It's just a lot to ask for a team that, as we've been saying, is not very deep and has some older veteran players. You know, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I think it's very important for Golden State to recapture some of that urgency and go on a run. And we know they're capable of it if they play good basketball, they're good enough with how good their starting lineup is to rip off a dominant 20 game stretch where they go like 15 and five. And if they do that with how wide open the Western Conference is, that might be enough to get you into a one through four seed. Now you have home court, you know, for potentially uh, two rounds. There's a lot, uh, there's a lot of benefits that come with that, right? The the problem is, is that they have to dramatically increase their effort to get to that point, which brings me back to the trade market. Like, The other thing you can do is you can trade a couple of these young players. Wouldn't touch Jonathan Kaminga, but I think Wiseman and Moody, I would flip those two guys for a quality veteran role player in this league that brings you some of that depth, that increases your margin for error so that you have a better chance of floating during a regular season where your starters are not really concerned with giving daily effort the way that they have been in the past, which is completely normal. They are defending champs, and they're old. That's, it's just a part of the human experience. Um, But yeah, this, the, 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 the dichotomy between um, the warriors on the road and at home is is pretty jarring at this point. Allstate
0: wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue while you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available
1: in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano. of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
2: Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep experts. (sighs) Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need check out lisa sapira hybrid mattress named best hybrid mattress five years running sleep hot select goods. That's leesa.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.
1: All right, moving on to the Nets and the Wizards. So the, the Wizards actually had a five point lead in the second quarter of this game. And then we got kind of a vintage Kyrie Irving run. He hit a really tough three off of a dribble handoff on the right wing. And then he hit like this ridiculous like five or six dribble combination pull up two at the left elbow. And then he had a driving layup, the one you guys probably already saw all over social media, where he went up with his right hand, switched to his left hand, and scooped it in on his way down. Vintage Kyrie, the kind of thing that you grow to expect from him over the years. But he also made some nice defensive plays, too. He had back-to-back steals. He had a uh, an isolation against Chris Apps Porzingis at the top of the key, uh, where he... Did what you're supposed to do there, which is like, hey, if you play positional defense against Porzingis, he's just going to shoot over the top of you. And he attacked the basketball. Just was really aggressive to try to attack his handle, and he forced a turnover. And then similar play on the next possession down where Kyle Kuzma came off of a dribble handoff. Kyrie switched on to him and was just aggressive at his shooting pocket and knocked the ball free. Kyrie's got quick hands, and he's got quick feet, and he's got good instincts. So when he's actually engaged on the defensive end, which he has been a lot over the course of the last couple weeks, He's capable of making some impact defensive plays. So Kyrie went on a run, got the, the the Nets back in the lead. KD came back in at the end of the second quarter, played well. Then he had like ten and two in the third quarter. They went up by seventeen, and then it was a classic, you know, stiff arm type of game where they kind of hovered around a ten point lead. They ended up winning by twelve. The Nets are good. Uh, we did this with the Lakers last week. Like, yeah, the Lakers started two and ten, but their fourth and winning percentage since November 13th. And they have some quality wins, including that big road win uh, in Milwaukee. So we need to recalibrate how we look at the Lakers. And obviously they're even further away than the Nets were, but we have to acknowledge the difference in the way they played there versus at the beginning of the season. And the Nets are in a similar spot. They started two and six, but since November 4th, they're 15 and six. That's the third best winning percentage in the league during that span. In fact. For the whole season now, even counting their bad start, the Nets now have the eighth best record in the league and they're up to 11th in offense and 13th in defense. So if you guys remember coming into the season, I I had all these tiers for our power rankings. And at the top, I had the core four teams like Clippers, Celtics, Bucks, and Warriors, right? And then we had our, uh, if things go right contenders, then we had our punchers chance contenders. And I had in that five and six spot, I had two teams that have had, pretty uneven starts to the season, but we've seen their ceiling. And that was the Sixers I had at five and I had the Brooklyn Nets at six. So even after everything that happened last summer, even after everything that's happened with Kyrie Irving, even after everything that happened with Ben Simmons, I thought the Nets had the sixth best chance to win the title. And the reason why is they are pretty damn good on paper. That's why I didn't like what Katie said in those interviews. Uh, I think it was about a month ago where he was talking about, you know, the guys on the roster, because like, I understand he was frustrated with the guys that were available at that point, but help was on the way. And I didn't understand the, the hand grenade, the proverbial hand grenade that he threw just kind of on the supporting cast, understanding that help was on the way. And the reality is, is they do have a lot of talent when you really, Take a step back and you look at it like Kyrie's a pretty damn legit number two. He's won a championship as a number two in the past, albeit alongside the second gra- uh, greatest player of all time. But they have a ton of shooting, like with Joe Harris and Seth Curry. You don't want Nobby's turned into like a really interesting three and D player for them. And Marquise Morris is shooting really well. Even Royce O'Neal is shooting over forty percent from three this year. Then they have like a bunch of long athletic defensive players with Kevin Durant, Nick Claxton, and Ben Simmons. And even Yuta Yuta Watanabe has shown a lot of flashes of, uh, of defense. He had a really nice play in isolation against Will Barton in that game where Will Barton like really got down into his chest and he just held his ground, didn't foul, waited for Will Barton to go up, and then he extended with his left arm and blocked the shot. They're clearly not as talented as Boston or Milwaukee. That goes without saying. I mean, they've won eight out of nine. Guess who their loss was? It was the loss against the Boston Celtics, where it looked pretty much just like it did in the first round last year. Katie couldn't uh, like really struggle handling the basketball. You know, the guys hit a bunch of pull-up jump shots, but they never were really competitively in that game. So yeah, they're not Milwaukee or Boston, but they are very talented. And this is not a roster issue like it is for the Lakers, where you're asking LeBron James and Anthony Davis to be superheroes every night. For them, to, uh, for them to have a chance to win. But, you know, in that tier that's right below those top four teams, the Nets are very much in that mix. And so, like, yeah, they need a lot to break their way in order to win the title, but that's the same for a lot of teams around this league. And you can never completely write them off with Kevin Durant. And, like, we've seen this too many times in NBA history where things do break right for teams, you know, kind of like Milwaukee in 2021. Like, it might be a Phoenix Suns that gets out of the Western Conference, a flawed team, because of injuries and matchups and a random upset here. And next thing you know, you have a chance to win the title with a relatively easy schedule like the Milwaukee Bucks did in 2021. Like that's kind of the way it can break, which is why you keep your foot on the gas and you stay in the race, even when you're not necessarily as good as some of the best teams in the league. All right, let's move on to the Clippers and the Celtics. So Clippers completely dominated this game. They won 113 to 93. They led by double digits for more than half the game. Kawhi and Paul George, soundly outplayed Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They combined for 51 points on 18 for 34 shooting with nine assists and four turnovers. Tatum and Brown combined for 41 on 16 for 35 with six assists and five turnovers. Jason Tatum was below 50% in the paint. Again, he was five for 11. Remember, rim finishing was one of his big weaknesses last year. And then he had kind of seemed to remedy that. There was talk about this fancy rim contact drill that he was doing a lot over the summer, which I've been trying to track down because I want to hear about it. Um, but like there was some drill that he's been doing, he'd been working on it. He'd been playing really well in the restricted area and in the paint coming into the season, coming into that golden state game, he was 60% in the paint and 73% in the restricted area in the golden state game and the Clippers game. He's 39% in the, uh, in the paint and 44% in the restricted area. And you know, the big part that stands out to me on tape is shot selection. He just continually is forcing tough layups. Over rim congestion. There was a play where he challenged Zubak at the rim last night where it's like he, he was downhill. He had already beat multiple defenders. He was in a congested paint and he tried like a damn near impossible left-handed finish over Zubak instead of just driving and kicking the basketball. You know, it's so important for him to understand that they want they want him to be a play finisher. But it might be the play finisher after two or three actions and not necessarily in that first action. And this is that ugly side of Boston that we keep talking about. It's the you drive and get into Zubak and you kick to the corner and then you relocate. And then that guy drives and kicks and kicks to you. Now you attack that closeout and Zubak got out to the perimeter because he was containing. And now you've got a layup. You know, there's, there's always that opportunity to eventually be aggressive once the defense is in rotation and they make a mistake. But when Boston drives into the teeth of the defense and tries to shoot over the top of their rim protection that's where they have problems and I've been talking about that for years and Joe Missoula has been calling it rim reads which is another interesting way to refer to it but that's the idea when you get into the rim do you have a chance for a high percentage shot in the restricted area cool if not keep it moving you know because at at the end of the day you're just going to get better shots when you get the defense moving more frequently Kawhi Leonard looked great in this game He's slowly but surely starting to look like his legs are getting stronger, and that he's getting his rhythm back. He got to the rim a bunch in this game, a bunch of driving layups. Um, even against, you know, there was a lot of him attacking Marcus Smart and uh, and Malcolm Brogdon in this game, which is what you expect, and that's what you got to do if you're the Celtics, or if you're going against the Celtics, if you're going against the Celtics, and you are a team that's got big scoring wings you need to try your hardest to target Marcus Smart and, and Malcolm Brogdon. They're going to be more difficult. They're going to target your handle. They're going to ball pressure you more. But you have a, a puncher's chance in the sense that you can, sh- you can get clean looks over the top of them because of your size advantage. But there were even some plays where he was just looking eye-to-eye with Jalen Brown and just dropping his shoulder, hitting the gap, and getting all the way to the rim. And I wanted to take this uh, as an, op- uh, an opportunity to talk about the importance of strength when it comes to ball handling because the dirty little secret is, is that the NBA is super physical. Don't let the old guys fool you. Don't listen to the stuff about hand checking the dirt like, like literally in the 1980s teams were scoring a million points. Okay. Like it's just, it's, it's completely factually inaccurate. They were scoring a million points despite never shooting threes. Okay. So the NBA is every bit as physical now as it ever has been with exception of a little phase there in the late nineties where it became kind of ridiculous. And then they had to loosen it up a little bit, but, The NBA is physical. It's not about your necessarily your ability to dribble the basketball. There are a lot of guys that can dribble through cones at an extremely high level. It's about dribbling when you're getting hit. And guys are swiping at the ball and they're hitting your arm. Like You can practice that crossover dribble a hundred times, but that depends on the muscle memory of the ball ending up in the same spot every single time. And if I'm getting into you and and I'm disrupting you with physicality, I don't care how Hand, how good your hand-eye coordination is or how sharp you are with your ball handling, you better be able to protect the ball with your body. And, you know, like, say what you want about Kawhi Leonard. And at his peak, he was a better athlete, and hopefully he gets back there, but he's probably the strongest wing in the league, not named LeBron. When you hit him, it doesn't have the same effect that it does on other players. And he, it's so funny because you see him, there was the drive against Jalen Brown, the one that I'm referring to, you know, he's on the right wing, and he kind of just does like a, a crossover dribble and then hits the gap there's not a gap there there's not a lot of space and Jalen Brown's kind of riding with him, but like like I said it's it, the, you have a tiny opening and you force your way through it with physicality and if you're the bigger stronger player, you're going to get all the way to the rim and he on this particular play he just blew up Jalen's right shoulder went right through him and went all the way to the rim and finished with his left hands uh with his left hand uh, but that's how he gets to his spots. And that's what helps him get the lift that he needs to rise up and knock the shot, uh, shots down. That's what hel- helps him protect the basketball. And that's how he was killing Boston. Um, he also hit a couple of tough threes. Remember, I that was a big thing I always look at with Kawhi Leonard, when he's really in a rhythm, he can hit his pull-up three-point shot. And he had a transition three uh, where he dribbled up the floor and just elevated and rose up and knocked it down. And then there was a late one in the fourth quarter where Grant Williams closed out on him and he kind of just baited him into closing out and sitting down in his stance and then just elevated and rose up and knocked it down. Um, still just 13 for 36 on pull-up jumpers for this year, so he's got a ways to go to get to like his peak, but he is getting um, uh, getting into a nice groove. And then he's passing the ball really, really well this year. He had six assists last night, six assists in the previous game. That used to be his biggest weakness, and he's really improved. When, when Kawhi Leonard has passed out of pick and rolls this year, the Clippers have scored 1.48 points per possession, which is in the 98th percentile. When he has passed at ISO this year, the Clippers have scored 1.39 points per possession, which is in the 94th percentile. So Kawhi's biggest weakness, floor vision, he's turned it into a strength at this phase in his career, which is very important as it pertains to his physical decline. Same thing I've said about LeBron. Like one of the biggest reasons that LeBron's been able to stay relevant at this phase in his career is he's such a good passer and he's turned himself into a viable pull-up jump shooter that you know, he's still had a, a, lot, a great deal of impact in the tail end of his career. Like as you've phased out physically, you've got to replace that physical decline with skill. And that's what Kawhi's done with his passing ability. For the Clippers, as we're looking at them as, you know, one of those top four teams, everything comes down to Kawhi Leonard and Paul George being great, not good, but great. Kind of similar to what we were talking about with LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Like the Clippers are, even after last night, 28th in offense this year. But if you look at it, like they're they're scoring 109 points per 100 possessions, Boston is best in the league at 118 points per 100 possessions. There's not huge chasms between these teams, but that the difference is shot making and what stars do to squeeze those little extra bits of offense out over the course of a game where you might have 100 possessions, whether it's Paul George hitting a tough contested three late clock. Kawhi Leonard hitting a post up fadeaway or them warping the defense to create higher quality spot up opportunities. That's the difference between 108 points per 100 or 109 points per 100 possessions in 118. Yet they need Kawhi Leonard and Paul George to be great. It's the exact same thing that was happening with the, with the Lakers. They were the worst offense in the league to start the year. But LeBron and AD weren't playing well. Neither of them was hitting any shots over the top of the defense. LeBron wasn't doing nearly a good enough job getting downhill, and Anthony Davis wasn't dominating the paint that he has been, the way that he has been. But since November 13th, that's when AD started his run, the Lakers are fifth in offense. And LeBron has also been much, much better. So the worst offense in the league turned into the a top five offense over the course of a month of basketball because they're two stars, finally started playing like the superstars that they are. That There's not, you know, when I'm looking at the difference between the bad offenses in the league and the good offenses, uh, good offenses in the league, most of it comes down to superstar production. There is role player stuff. You know, obviously spot-up shooting is important. But having superstars that are producing at a high level offensively, will go, it just goes a long way. Again, it's 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 the shot making, it's rescuing possessions, it's attacking mismatches and then most importantly, it's advantage creation. When we look at the Clippers roster, there's a lot of really intriguing players there. Mar- uh, Marcus Morris is a good basketball player, Luke Kennard, good basketball player, Zubac, really good player, Reggie Jackson, you know, Nick Batum and his lightning quick release. Like they they have a lot of really good offensive players in their 28th in offense and a big part of that is like When you ask that caliber of player to stare eye to eye with a defensive player in a set defense in a half court environment, they're going to struggle because NBA athletes are too good at defense. But if Kawhi Leonard is getting downhill and passing the way that he has been, if Paul George is getting downhill and passing the way that he has been, or hell, when Paul George is shooting the way he is coming off of screens and he's drawing multiple defenders on, on wide pin downs and stuff like that, that creates all of a sudden wide open opportunities for the likes of Luke Kennard and and Nick Batum and Marcus Morris, which they can convert at a much higher level because they're more skilled than most of the role players in the league. So everything comes down to Kawhi and Paul George and their ability to play like superstars. That's what gives them such such an exciting ceiling, which is why I had them as one of the top four teams in the league. They can look Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, the best duo in the league, in the face, and they can outplay them. And and that, that just changes the math of all of this. Obviously, they have a long way to go to prove that they can do it, but I thought that that was a really big step for them and a big statement game. All right, guys, that is all I have for tonight. Like I said, we're going to be covering Kings, Sixers, and Lakers, Celtics tomorrow. As always, I sincerely appreciate your support, and I will see you guys next time.